Welcome to the Trying to Be Better podcast with Joel and Steve. We did it. Here we are. We haven't done anything. We did, we, you know what, Steve? <laughs> 90% of life is showing up, man. We did it. We're here. We did show up. I'm, well, I, I was early this morning. It's amazing. You were early. I, I prompted you. Yeah. But you, <laughs> when you prompted me, I was actually, you know, getting my, getting everything set up. So oh, that's nice. You know, yeah. I was cognizant of that. Cause I know you, you, <laughs> that's true. I like, I like to be, I like to be on time. Hi everybody. Welcome to the <laughs> trying to be better podcast with Joel and Steve. I'm Joel and I'm Steve and this is a podcast. It and, is a podcast. Uh, I feel we like that's a, fanta- I feel like that's a that that introduction has kind of become into its own in the last yeah. six or seven episodes. Yeah, that, there's a little groove there. Yeah, I don't. I think I I, I think I was thinking about that because I I don't always listen back, but when I did, I was like, you know, I wonder if people know whose voice is whose. So I oh, thought, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think I know who I am, you, and I'm pretty speak, sure you speak. You use better enunciation than I do. I'm still working on that. That's the pitfalls of my training, my friend. I understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought, you know, the 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 random listener might want to know whose is whose because, you know, if I say anything crappy, I don't want it to be attributed to you. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, right? Uh, so, yeah, welcome. To, we have a fantastic guest today. But um, so. before we introduce our amazing guest, we are honored to have here uh do we did we get any mail or anything no mail no mail nope okay no mail so Great. our fans are letting us down <laughs> and they're our just detractors they're just are also letting us down yeah that's what i really want to hear from is our is the people we need to start pissing some more people off or something not today not today not today <laughs> uh well i'm i'm feeling refreshed and i'm yeah just, you went to arizona that looked terrible I, it looked the whole thing looked awful it was horrible. It was 75 degrees. It was, you know, there was mountains and desert and good food. It was, it, I, my Airbnb had a pool and a couple of really cool dogs and it was awful. Wait, you had to take care of dogs. I didn't have to take care of dogs, but the owners of the Airbnb had these really cool dogs. One oh. was like a puggle and one was this huh. huge German shepherd who was a gentle giant. And, uh, it was, it was dog therapy. Like we did yoga in the yard uh, and the dogs came and joined us for down dog and all the thing. It was horrible. Hey, you don't you don't get that at Marriott Properties. No, you don't. And <laughs> and I got to see the Cubs spring training. I got to see the Cubs lose in spring training. It was great. So it was perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt really. I felt really at home watching them <laughs> leave runners on base at like from like the fifth inning to the ninth inning. It was just great to see them get on base and then send them <laughs> off. It was awesome. So it was training. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. You, I'm to sorry, be a base, Joel. The patience you have to have to be a baseball fan is, ugh. I'm like, well, our season's screwed. It's over. <laughs> it season's screwed. out. Throw it out. <laughs> it was awesome. It was That was a bucket list thing to be down in mesa for the spring training of the Cubs. yeah that's cool i'm glad you got was, to do that it was really neat so yeah, yeah i'm back and I'm, i haven't really done anything out of the ordinary so you stayed the course it's just i stayed the course which is pretty great you know yeah yeah 
Well, um, it's nice to see you. I think we can go ahead and uh, introduce our guest today. Mm-hmm. Um, we are honored and thrilled to have Dr. Bob Rauner on the podcast today. Um, I, uh, Dr. Rauner, Bob came to my attention through his YouTube channel uh, during the pandemic, which provided um, just community updates around COVID that were yeah. um, incredibly informative and just rational and um, kind of helped sort through what was what and what wasn't what during that sea of uncertainty and mm-hmm. misinformation and all of that. And so it's just, I've really uh, enjoyed and valued those uh, uh, YouTube videos. And then I saw that he's running, and I, you'll have to clarify this uh, again for LPS for school board, or is this a re upping? Anyway, uh, give a big uh, trying to be better uh, podcast. Welcome to Dr. Bob Rauner. There's a, a applause and and confetti cannons going off right now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fireworks. Fireworks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> welcome. And thanks for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. Should be an so, interesting discussion. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm. This is. I have a lot of questions, but I think mostly. Um, I, if we want to kind of start at the beginning, you're a Nebraska guy, I take it, Western Nebraska. Yep. Yeah, I actually, sixth generation, actually. So, oh, a lot of homesteaders family, in the family. Homesteaders, uh, ranching, yeah. maybe some of that. Um, yeah, both actually. Well, I guess not both, but yeah, wheat farming, cattle. Um, I grew up in Sydney, Nebraska. Um, five gen, go back five generations in Sydney and. Uh, actually, I have a great, great, great grandfather homesteaded near Valley, Nebraska. So, oh wow! Um, but yeah, my family, uh, my grandpa was a wheat farmer, and then started raising cattle. And then, uh, um, although I started my early life in Omaha, I was, I was, uh, my parents got married as teenagers because I was coming. So, uh, uh, but my dad was in college at Creighton, so I was born in summer break back in Sydney. And then, when I was a kid, my dad was going to college and law school. My mom was working, and uh, but then we moved back when I was nine years old to Sydney, and then went to middle school, junior high and high school there and uh, spent all my summers working on the farm. It's kind of how I paid for college. So mm-hmm. sure. Uh, what were your interests in uh, like high school? I, I don't know what high schoolers in Sydney. I mean, assuming you worked uh, and maybe played some football. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Well, I went to Sydney St. Pat's, which was the small Catholic high school. And there were, there weren't a hundred people in the whole school of seven to 12. So you kind of had to do everything. It was yeah. really they didn't require it in, in senior high and junior high. You had to go out for football, basketball and track because otherwise they wouldn't have a team. Sure. And then they relaxed it a little bit, but it was heavily, heavily encouraged, even though I was really skinny and slow. So I was not good at football. Sure. <laughs> it didn't Same. go well. I'm, I'm, grateful to my high, <laughs> I'm grateful that my high school was, was just big enough that it, we had some choice, but man, if I was in that spot of like, you have to go out for all of these things, I would have been miserable, but mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I mean, Sydney is even further west than I. I grew up in well in Columbus, but high school in Ord. But that was even further mm-hmm. west. So, yeah, that's I cool. always point out to people that you know Ord and Lexington. That's central Nebraska. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. That's central Nebraska. To yeah. Lincolnites and Omaha folks, that's western Nebraska. But to the rest yep. of the state, that's central. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. So, were you? Um, how did you? Was there a moment where you thought medicine? Like how did, um, not, what did that look like? Not really. I, I, my exposure mess, I had some relatives who were physicians. And when I was a kid, my mom worked at a doctor's office. And when she didn't have anybody to watch us on the weekend, 
we just hang out in the doctor's waiting room reading those highlights magazines and she'd give us a dollar to walk down to the 7-Eleven and get some Star Wars cards and a comic book, you know. So that was my exposure to medicine as a little kid. And then sure. uh, actually I didn't know what I wanted to do in college. I major I switched my major five times, ended up graduating with a degree in philosophy, actually. And I was debating whether to go on. I, I was interested in medical ethics, actually. And so, mm. but I also applied for medical school and I got in and got a scholarship the first year. So I figured, well, I'll try it out for a year. Uh, and if not, I'll go, I'll switch back and I'll go to medical ethics. And so continued on in medicine and I kind of liked everything. So it was hard to decide. So I ended up going with family medicine because it was a little bit of everything. Um, sure. And then uh, my, my small town family doctor was, was saying, Hey, I'm waiting for you to finish so you can replace me. Mm. And then uh, my wife, uh, we met in medical school and she's a family doctor too. So we just went for our first five year career. We did go back to Sydney. We replaced Dr. Doc, old Doc Holleran. And so Lisa and I worked there for five years. And then we, uh, they asked us to come back to Lincoln to teach at the residency program that we had graduated from and Lisa's from Lincoln. So that made it an easy move for her, but harder for me. So we left mm -hmm. my family and came back to her family when the, when the girls were little. So I'm, I'm really curious as somebody who teaches at a liberal arts, you know, college and, 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 you know, my, my expertise is under the umbrella of humanities. Was the, was the philosophy degree just sort of like, well, let's just get this done. Or were you, were you pretty fascinated by philosophy and how has that, has that influenced and, and helped you moving forward in your medical training? Oh yeah. I think it's probably one of the best things I did, honestly. And people have this misconception that you should go be a biology major, or chemistry major, go to medical school. That's if you want to do research, but if you want to do primary care, I think you're much better off doing philosophy or psychology or something else. Hmm. And I'd say, say philosophy is extremely helpful for me, what I do. Cause right now, like, how do you know what you know? That's metaphysics essentially. Right. And what, what gravitated me, it was, I had a really, really good teacher. Uh, his name is Michael Brown. Uh, it, it was doctor, but he always wanted us to call him Michael. Um, but he was just really good. And there were two tracks. They had the, they called the history track and the problems track history. You, you studied what somebody else said, which I thought was really boring. <laughs> problems track was you argued. Okay. How do you know this? Like one of my favorite classes is, uh, uh, epistemology was like, how do you know what you know? He taught it using science fiction articles. You know, oh, cause a lot nice. of times science fiction, you know, these like, like, a, like a Star Trek episode where some of those are kind of weird mind bending, like, you know, like, you know, the famous Star Trek episode of people, with the black and white faces sort of highlighting racism yeah. um, and why it was in some ways kind of silly. Um, and so he taught it really well. And, and I, and I'll, the other thing is I could stay awake in the classes. I, I get bored real easy and the <laughs> classes in college, I would fall asleep and, daydreaming but i could pay attention in philosophy class because i thought it was really because we were actively arguing just engaging yeah. like this you know right so, just but i think pumped full of information to then regurgitate yeah. later yeah but also like the misinformation disinformation happening right now i think that philosophy is very helpful for that and then just the problem solving i do with my day job like we're working on some pro a project right now uh to reduce infant mortality in nebraska and okay what are the root causes of all that and you have to go through layer by layer like you know people on Medicaid don't get in as often. Well, is it because of Medicaid itself or is it the, the underlying factors that land them in Medicaid? And that's the, it's actually the underlying factors. When, when people get on Medicaid, the care they get is really good actually. So which is nice to know that you'll be treated just as well by your, by your OB or FP or midwife, whether you're, no matter what your insurance is, it's the delay getting to them is the problem actually. I think so, it's, Bob, it's really, I don't know, just initially really refreshing to hear uh, physicians talk about root causes rather than just symptoms. Right. And I think that mm -hmm. there's, I mean, a plug for philosophy out there at, you know, places where those programs are being axed left and right that, you know, that's just really nice to hear because I feel like sometimes I feel like, you know, 
our society is very results driven and and medicine can be very symptom symptom driven rather than cause driven and i think that's really cool mm-hmm. that that influenced your career mm-hmm. yeah i actually would say well this i think this applies really well to the whole covid misinformation debate honestly yeah. like my fa- my family doctor that i'd go to is one of the smartest doctors i know and he was a psychology major in college by the mm-hmm. way Mm-hmm. Um, where if you look at the people who are, quote, oh, but the physician says this, but they're way off. They're the they're the hyper specialists, which don't have that kind of a mentality or background. So, you know, Richard Atlas, Peter McCullough, Marty McCary, they're 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 those microscope people. They don't see the broad picture. And so that's kind of the difference in healthcare. like primary care and public health are in one extreme. The other extreme is neuroradiology or endocrine surgeon. They're very different sides of each the whole thing it's kind of like the general contractor versus the guy who wires electrical panel very different perspectives yeah yeah so if you're going to be that broad perspective you don't want a organic chem major i think you want the broad (laughs) perspective people do better with their background in psychology or philosophy or something like that actually yeah so in your in your education in your training uh because you you have you studied public health right like that's Mm -hmm. your 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 uh postgraduate degrees are in sort of that did you ever think that you that that expertise would come in handy so so um, acutely uh, during a global pandemic? I mean, did that prepare you for? Because, like we said, your videos were such a breath of of truth in a chaos. You know, um, did, yeah. Can you talk about any training that mm-hmm. you had or any you know things that mm-hmm. you did that that you were able to kind of call upon during the global pandemic? One of the challenges in healthcare, honestly, is that people who get an MD or an RN often have very little training in public health. There's Mm -hmm. very, very little in the medical school or nursing curriculum, maybe a semester at most, sometimes just a couple of weeks. So a lot of physicians and nurses were heavily misinterpreting because they didn't understand the epidemiology statistics behind it all. And part, the reason I went, I went later on, I was a family doctor for about 10 years before I went back on my master's in public health. And it, it mainly because I kept seeing things going wrong and asking myself, well, why? Mm. And a lot of these things, you know, the person, the reason they had a heart attack is because of their diabetes, which was uncontrolled, which was because they didn't have access to healthy food, which because they didn't actually, I mean, when you start pushing these things back, that's where public health really gets involved. And, and so, and I'm a kind of, my number one strength finder strength is, is analytical. And if I'm going to figure, if I'm going to try to make a difference, I better learn how to do it right. And that's why I decided to go go back and get my master's in public health. And I thought, well, if I'm going to take the time to do this, I'll just start at the top. I'll, Johns Hopkins was number one. I'll, I'll start there. And if I don't get in, I'll just go to the next one. And I was lucky enough to get in the first one. And so that's why I did it through Johns Hopkins. And Johns Hopkins is heavily, the weed out courses are statistics and epidemiology. If you don't pass those, you aren't making it through. Those are the hard ones. And for good reason. Um, because that's having the right data to point you in the right direction is really, really important, especially in a crisis where things are uncertain. And, uh, like the example, I think that, that pointed me in the direction every, I like everybody else at first, there was like, what's this COVID thing? Ah, they're being alarmist. It's probably not that bad. And then, and then I, I got wind of a presentation that James Lawler gave to the, uh, Omaha area superintendents and Steve Joel told me about it. I'm like, huh. Well, can you give me a copy of that? And you send it the copy of that to me. And I started looking at his data myself because my first reaction was he's he's being alarmist. And I ran mm-hmm. the data myself and I said, Oh crap, that he's right. This is gonna kill thousands of Nebraskans if we don't get mm-hmm. it together. And unfortunately, our political leaders, both political parties, by the way, both local and state, were were not gonna close things down initially. Mm-hmm. They were just gonna wait till we had a few cases. Well, that's what happened in New York when things people waited too long because they just don't understand. 
epidemiology, it's, it's very exponential math, which most of us just don't intuitively get. And, mm-hmm. and unless you have that background, you just really don't understand the data sometimes. So mm-hmm. that's probably too in depth, but anyway, well, no, that's, it's fascinating. The way I mm-hmm. interpreted or heard exponential math is that we have a lot of people. And if it happens to a small percentage, extrapolate that out and it's going to happen to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's only going to kill half a percent. Well, that's still, I don't know, that's, 2 million Americans. <laughs> that's still a lot of people. Yeah. That's, that's more than we've lost in all of our wars combined. <laughs> that's a lot of people. And that's, I, and that's the thing, like that was the frustrating thing on the ground is it just a, a citizen, right? A community mm-hmm. member was when you look at a capitalistic sort of view, when it, when you're talking about life, it, you really get to see how, you know, leaders, decision makers, lawmakers uh, don't really have an understanding. And, and that was, I think, the real the real breath of fresh air from from I mean, it was really nice, Bob, to have an expert in the field down the street sharing about that da- because I was watching videos from people all over the country and epidemiology. There was an epidemiologist on on social media that I really kind of gravitated towards. But she was talking very generally it was really wonderful to have somebody understanding what was going on in my backyard. And it was like all of a sudden epidemiologists and experts in the field were my fucking heroes. You know what I mean? They were just like, like, you know, they're rock stars all of a sudden. And you were in that group. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for, I mean, when did you get that report from Steve Joel? When did you get that? Uh, uh what spring, break, spring break march of 2020 um basically i think it was a friday we had a major meeting and it was going to be spring break the next week mm-hmm. and everything this was all coming out in the news nobody wanted to do so we just had an emergency meeting and of course i, I was vice chair of the board so i should be there but also just well i'm a physician with a public health background that was kind of handy um and so we were talking about what we're going to do like okay depending what happens are we going to not bring the kids for back after spring break the good news yeah. The nice thing about Lincoln is we, we knew the spring break was coming. So we knew we were going to be closed for a week, no matter what. So we didn't have, yeah. gave us a week to figure it out essentially. And I think Friday is when I got Steve Joel, got me a copy of James's slides Sunday. I heard a presentation. Um, no, that was the following Sunday. So that next week I started looking at it, I'm like, Oh crap. And then other people I knew from the, uh, the Rask association of school boards, many other school districts were asking the same questions too. So what I did is I recorded I took James's slides and ran it based on Nebraska number and they made it look like what does look for like Lincoln? Because that, that's a different scale. When you put it at a Lincoln scale, that meant more to people. Mm-hmm. So I recorded a summary and I sent it out to John Spots, who's the Nebraska Associate School Boards, and then uh and Tom Sfranek, which is a state epidemiologist, said, Do you think this helps explain to people? And Tom called me on my cell phone and said, Yeah, that really helps. Send that out to people. Mm-hmm. So I sent that out to the Nebraska Association of School Boards, the physicians I know, the school boards so they could look at it. Uh, and then they started asking good questions, honestly. And then the following week was when they 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 actually had a a, a statewide call with the governor and some local health departments, and they were they were going to pitch that we wait till to close things down until we had a few positives. And then the tax, I said, but how are we going to have positives? We have no tests. And others started mm-hmm. chiming in, and they wouldn't answer that question. I'm like you can't wait till there's no positives because. By the time we have positives, we'll be like New York, what happened in New York City. And so everybody said, no, we're just going to do this anyway. So so we were actually going to close Lincoln Public Schools down, even if the state didn't. We'd already oh, made that wow. decision. We hope we hope this the whole state would do it. And then finally they came around and everybody did it. But we were going to do it anyway, because we went through the numbers and I said, you know, I'm going to add we had I was talking to James Lawler and Ollie Khan. They're like, Yeah, this is going to be bad, guys. 
And so, uh, you know, people have forgotten, but Nebraska for about the first, oh, eight, nine months had one of the lowest mortalities in the whole country because we did it right, actually, initially. So people say, oh, closing it down was a waste. No, we, we didn't have hardly any deaths in Nebraska till the fall, basically. Wow. Now, unfortunately, we made some mistakes later and we've, we're not as good as we used to be. We're like, we used to be like in the top five as far as the lowest mortality. Now we're about, oh, in the 12, 15 range. Um, although Lincoln, if Lincoln were a state, Lincoln would have been number three in the country just behind uh, Hawaii and Vermont. I was just going to say, I heard you say that recently. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's, yep. you know, local politics matter, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the lessons. I mean, it is important to pay attention to those local elections, which are coming up. Um, you don't, you want someone who actually knows what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. like I don't, one thing that really bothers me is this strain. We don't want anybody, we want some new person who comes from the outside, but you know what, do you have someone wiring an electrical panel? Who's never been an electrician before <laughs> or is an unemployed electrician? You know, like some people say, you shouldn't listen to Bob Rohner because he's employed in public health. Well, that's because I actually know what I'm doing. That's why. <laughs> so and you wouldn't, you wouldn't hire someone to rent, you know, we're building standing there. We hired the licensed electrician for that thing. He's going to wire the main panel. Who's never gotten a job or, or can't get a job. That's not who you want. You want the guy who everybody has already hired actually. Yeah. And so I, I don't know what this, yeah, this anti-intellectual strain is kind of is bothersome, you know? Oh, that's a, I mean, that's a general, we've talked about it here, Steve and I, it's like, yeah, the, the all out attack on, on education, facts, the all, facts <laughs> rational uh, experience. Um, uh, yeah. Anything that flies in the face of someone's God-given innate knowledge about something that people literally spend their entire lives learning about. But I know because I, I watch some- all of that. I watched some <laughs> random person make a right. YouTube video that had no knowledge of this and said a bunch of inflammatory things that made me feel something. All of a sudden, that's the truth. And in 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 2023 or in 2020, rather, you could get that misinformation out quickly. And that mm-hmm. was the thing that was so heartbreaking, heartbreaking, because folks like you who were trying to tell us the actual truth were being attacked. Do you have any stories of that, of local folks? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you do, and yeah. maybe you don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but. Oh, no, let, let's go there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got, to, I think I recorded 119 about two weeks ago. Uh, there's a, there's a three or four people who often leave comments. I usually don't even bother responding anymore because, because they, they, one, they never cite a source. They'll look, like spout off a bunch of random numbers. But I like the last one. I said, can you cite a source for that? No reply. Mm-hmm. Um, or those, the, the source will be, you know, Peter McCall's YouTube video. Well, that's not right. a source. I mean, right. that, that's why on all my videos, you go to the notes section, literally there's a link to every article, every public data source, every news article. So you can look at it yourself. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a group of three to four that in this last one, actually one of them, actually three of them are chiming back in again. I don't know. I guess they must be bored. I don't know why they're watching my videos if they don't like them anyway, but but yeah, they never cite anything. Uh, and one yeah. of them actually does have a PhD. I found out he actually has some patents. Um, the the difference, one of my, Ted Frazier, who I work with, he's he, he and Mary Jo look at every t- one before it goes out, by the way, because they help me say it better when I'm not being tactful enough. Um, Ted described it as, it's like, you know, there's there's scientists who have a really microscope look, going to the smallest detailed thing. And then there's public health people. They're like on a, on a hot air balloon with some binoculars looking over the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that all the conspiracy theory doctors, they're usually those microscopy people. They have, they have a really, really narrow scope, like Marty McCary at Johns Hopkins. Yes, he's at Johns Hopkins. He's a very good surgeon, but he's a very subset, narrow endocrine surgeon for of the pancreas, basically. Really tiny thing. 
and you know, if you look at his op-eds, he's been way off repeatedly. I don't know why they keep repeating it. <laughs> they keep, I don't know how many times he said the pandemic's over. We should, I mean, he was saying that, you know, within six months and he was wrong that time. Then he was wrong the next time and he was wrong again, but they keep repeating his stuff for some reason. It's like, how many times does the guy have to get it wrong before you're getting to quit printing his op-eds? Is that, uh, is that just based on his thing. credentials just because? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the great Barrington guys. Yeah. One's at Oxford and one's at Stanford and one's at maybe Harvard, I think. But first of all, for none of them is this their their area of expertise. Like one's an economist, you know, one's one does have an epidemiology background. He's never actually done it in the real world, in real life, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's the precision of academia, and then there's the messiness of real life and how Mm -hmm. people actually behave. You Um, you said something that has been just incredibly valuable to me, and I actually learned this in my seventh grade speech class. Hat tip to Randy McCutcheon if you're out there. But the the magic question or the magic statement was. Um, got a source for that. And it's amazing how people just poof or start sputtering or, you know, I, I got into a thing with a former coworker that he went to some of the greatest uh, logical machination extents that I've ever seen to avoid telling me that his source was Fox News. <laughs> I mean, it was it was, just, it was this long, long thing. I'm like, look, I asked you a simple question. All these things you're saying now are not relevant to the question. So yeah, like, what's your source? It's mm-hmm. one line. Yeah. yeah, the latest distinction I've heard is the different distinction between evidence-based medicine, where I'm my camp, and headline-based medicine. I just read it on a headline somewhere, basically. That's about as deep as they can go. Headline-based medicine. I have, been, I have been fed today's talking points, so this is my bedrock. And as far as I'm going to mm-hmm. go with it intellectually. Yeah. yeah and the, the, the Cochrane mass study is a perfect example of that, where the, the study literally didn't say that. It didn't say mass didn't work. That isn't what it said. Even the plain language summary, which is what I did the last podcast. But people ran for it. Nobody, nobody did any fact-checking, including... Surprising, the New York Times printed, and it was an op-ed, opinion piece, by the way. It wasn't a, you know, a skilled reporter. But they, I thought that was very irresponsible. The, the guy literally misquoted what the study, the plain thing I'm sure we really said. We couldn't determine this based on the studies available. So, I don't know. I, I have a, I have a, I guess I'd call it a healthy mistrust of the New York Times. Hmm. Not that they don't have some good journalism, but I don't take everything they say as gospel either because of reasons exactly like that. They have yeah. their... Well, they've had some well-publicized um, issues over the last five years or so. So, and that's that's what makes it so hard, Bob. And I know that you um, speak preaching to the choir here, but to actually find just accurate information is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I so think it's it, part of the problem with media and that do the reporters have a background in this? Because when I when I was in my master's in public health at Johns Hopkins, two of my classmates were newspaper reporters, and I thought newspaper reporters, why are you guys here? Well, because they want to get the stories right. And I think one was at Washington Post. I think, yeah, I think it, or was it AP or Reuters? One of those three that they each the one worked at one, one the other. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought I didn't think about that because so many newspaper articles are flat wrong because they don't know how to read a study. Um, but that's why they were in getting their master's in public health, actually. So those, those, but those are pretty big, reputable national news sources that could afford somebody like that. Sure. I really also enjoy, and you mentioned her a lot, and I'm going to butcher her name, but uh, Caitlin uh, Gentilina, is that right? Yeah. Uh, she's uh, also just fantastic. I'd like to buy her a beer sometime. <laughs> well, she's done really well. The good news is she's a consultant for the CDC for communications, because obviously they need the communications help. Mm-hmm. And her, her Gentilina, Caitlin Gentilina, her 
her back, he's her MPH and PhD are in epidemiology, not communications, but that is a core part of the MPH curriculum is communications. Most people don't realize that mm. because health communications is really important. And she just has a really good knack for it. She's good at putting it in terms people uh, start. And it's funny how it started. She was just doing a newsletter for a department and then her, the people kept forwarding it to their friends and family. Mm. And so they should, then she, that's then she awesome. put it on Facebook and, and that's kind of how mine started too. I, I did it for a, a select group of people and sent it out there. They said that was really helpful. And so that the next day on Monday, I just said, hey, I'll just put it on Facebook and I get home and then we're having dinner and it's got like 400 views. I'm like, huh, get the next day. It's got like 600 views. Huh, like, like maybe I should. Well, that, so I just ended up doing them basically because it turned out everybody else wanted to listen to them too. So, well, that was the, that was the amazing thing in a sea of, you know, everybody locked down in their homes, not really being able to do anything. We were, we were, I, I recall those, you know, first six months of that, you know, I gravitated towards anybody shooting me straight and telling me what I believe to be the truth and finding out like I can check what their credentials are and I can I can make sure that these are people that are not complete quacks or, you know, uh, trying to start a cult in the mountains of Colorado or something that these people were actually, you know what I mean? And it was so nice to know that this that you were in my backyard telling me about my community. And but, yeah, I mean, you know, I. I'm not surprised that there was um, an attraction to that because, as I recall, as much as as much disinformation and ridiculous ideas about what this thing was, there was for the on the main a real craving for truth in the sea of you know BS. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that your corner of the of the <laughs> of Facebook became somewhat viral at least locally because it was such a beacon of like, okay, this is what's really going on because I, yeah, I, I just recall having a lot of, a lot of crazy information, some from people in my own family sending me ridiculous stuff, you know, I, I want to pivot just a little bit. As I was looking over your bio, Bob, uh, there's a spirit of service uh, through the things that you've done, like you were talking about earlier about you identify, you know, problems and then you want to help and fix them on a, on a, on a, some, you know, a larger scale, I guess that, and that, that's interesting. I think that shows also through in your videos that really you're just trying to be helpful, but, and so that, um, I don't know, it's just inspiring to see that. And, and uh, um, so I guess that, kind of ties into my my question my thought about the school board how did you get involved in that and also i mean I, well, you, yeah. you you have like three jobs mm -hmm. you, um, you, i come we, from a long line of workaholics maybe and i have to dial myself well, the, back even just know. talking to you in this conversation i can tell that you, you have a busy brain Yes. And yeah. the, like sitting still uh -huh. probably isn't something that's uh, mm -hmm. that you enjoy doing very much, which I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, maybe it comes from the family. You know, I come from a family where it's family business. Everybody chips in. Sure. My parents always did things. My mom was on the school board at Sydney St. Pat's. My dad was always volunteering for physicians with Rotary or doing the church's books for free. Uh, I grew up in what I would call more of a social justice Catholicism out West, mm -hmm. um, which Creighton certainly reinforced. Mm -hmm. uh, that this is what you should do. I mean, that it's not about going to church. It's about doing stuff for your fellow man. That's, that's the whole point, you know? 
Mm. And so, so that, that's kind of how I grew up, even though I'm a Lutheran now, but actually the Lutherans have another way. They, they think you don't do good works so that you can go to heaven. You do good works and thanks for what you've already been given. And, mm. and so, and that's to me, like Lincoln public schools uh, came from multiple angles. One was, well, I thought my girls got a great education here. I mean, we had multiple opportunities where we could have left to take off some, take some really cool job opportunities, but I don't want to move my kids. They're thriving at LPS. I ain't moving them. And so yeah. LPS is what kept us here. Uh, because our kids were doing so well at LPS, uh, they thrived at LPS, and so I felt you know some duty to give back for that because my girls are the most important thing. How do they come out? Well, a lot of it. I mean, LPS was a great place for them, and then I started getting involved. I, I've always said it bugs me to see something broken and not fix it. Um, I was good at good on the at the farm on the farm. I was good at fixing stuff, so I always ran the swather because it was a little broken down thing, and I could keep it running. So every summer I was tasked with running the swather. Um, but that healthcare is kind of the same thing. I want to fix stuff. And uh, as a physician, what bugged me is I, the things I would see in the emergency room or the clinic were things that could have been fixed earlier. And I didn't like that. And that's what kind of pushed me into public health. And one thing that pushed me to get into LPS is that uh, when, when we had left for five years and came back, it was amazing to me how many more type, type, type 2 diabetics we had in the same clinic just in the span of five years. And it goes back to the food we eat, the lack of exercise, uh, obesity, and so we started doing some stuff in our clinic, trying to do something about it. And I remember one, one, one time talking to this little kid, little Hispanic guy, who was a third grader at one of the local schools. And I was trying to do motivational interviewing with him. And I said, so what do you like to do to, to, to get fit? And, you know, what do you like to do to exercise? Like during, what do you do during recess? And he said, we don't have recess. And I thought, what do you, I said, of course you have recess. What do you do? And his brother said, no, they got rid of recess a couple of years ago. Like, how could you not have recess in school? Oh, uh, and then a month later, I get a, a brochure in my daughter's Friday folder from kindergarten saying uh this was my my coke rewards earn more money at the school by drinking more coke products i'm like geez no recess pushing coke in the school no wonder and so i started getting interested in how, the, how what we could change at lps mm. and i met maribel avery who was the head of health and p curriculum who also had the same interest and so she and i and then carla lester who's a pediatrician lives across the street from me we all decided we got to start changing lps wow and so that's how i got involved with uh, maribel and we started we did get recess reinstituted as a standard in all all schools uh, physical activity break. We started looking at, we started measuring the fitness of kids because it's hard to make something better if you never measure it. And it turned out LPS had been measuring it all along. And so that's where my data background came in. I started working on how do we put that data together so we can see, is it better, worse, are we in the right way? Uh, we started seeing huge economic and, and racial disparities in it, which got me interested. And then we had to justify it to the, to the school board. So what we did is said, is there any way we could get the math and reading scores along with this? And they mm. we were able to get it. And then we showed that actually the kids who are more physically fit also do better in math and reading, by the way. So maybe that makes it an academic priority because that was back in No Child Left Behind, where it's all about math and reading and there were core subjects and non-core subjects. It wasn't math and reading. It wasn't core. We didn't care about it. And so I was trying to get them to move back in that direction. And so that's what started me at LPS. And then the stuff I did there, they just kept acting me to be on another committee. So I was on the committee that that interviewed the, the new superintendent, who at the time we picked Steve Joel, which that was, what, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, and I was on the high school task force because the where we're going to put these two high schools, that's a big numbers game. It has, goes back to the demographics. Where is the city growing the fastest? Where should we put it? Can we do can we do it with one school? It turned out, no, we couldn't. We had to do it, do it split it in two. Um, so those so sure some of the logical progressions with epidemiology statistics, really. I mean, pu public health planning, school planning, all that goes together. I often tell people that the the social determinants of health are also the social, social determinants of academic achievement. A lot of it's very similar, actually. So, so that's kind I of how I got wrapped into it. Mm -hmm. I, I what I hear too in that is that <clears throat> you know that that uh, that classic philosophy 
DNA of why, you know, mm-hmm. why, why is this happening? And, and using the tools of the game to actually make some change, you know, that you're asking, I love, <laughs> you see the problem and, and the fact that like they've been recording that data, but not doing anything with it. And, and then you start doing something with it and you get put on more boards. Cause they're like, Oh, that works. It's like, they've been taking that data. They just didn't have anybody to interpret it and to em- implement it. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, and it, like the the project I'm most excited about isn't even a Lincoln Public Schools project, really. It's our it's our infant mortality thing we're going to try to, we're trying to launch right now. We've had all this data in Nebraska for all of it. Nobody really compiles or looks at it. So Ted and I started putting it together. We got the data from the CDC and found out okay where where is our problem in Nebraska? Where are we doing better and worse? Um, what could be changed? And so hopefully we can start getting it changed. And it's by shining a light on this stuff. Yeah, is, is there, that. When you say we, is that the partnership for a healthy Lincoln? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we're now a partnership for healthy Nebraska because it's state level stuff. So we sure can we have you two, talk two about, now. Can you talk about that organization for for a minute? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started uh I got brought in 13 years ago as Healthy Lincoln, and it was about you know, there was a lot of community interest in making the kids physically more fit and reducing obesity. And they asked someone wrote a grant, said, Hey, would you take this on? And it was so it's been like a half-time job ever since. Uh, they're also, they were trying to fix uh, that. We had a lot of sort of holes in our healthcare safety net, one of which, you know, we needed blue stem to expand. And that's one of the projects I work with is how do we, how can we figure out, get more, more, sp- more uh, staff and, and space at blue stem, for example. And so they hired me to do that. It's, it's, so I've always been doing that half time while doing the health system job, the other half time. And so the, the, the health system stuff pays the bills. Well, but the, but my heart is in the health disparities and community health. So, so I kind of use one to, help fund the other one or well actually i don't move the money but if i get paid enough here i don't have to worry about getting paid over here because if you start a nonprofit, uh sometimes the money doesn't show up and who what are you going to do cut staff or cut your own income well because Mm -hmm. i had the other one there was one year i did cut my income over there so that i didn't have to let somebody go so it sort of gave me a way to split the difference basically and then we've just grown in from project to project people keep asking us say hey we're trying to fix this could you help us so our breastfeeding project started because uh, some of the folks, some of the breastfeeding advocates and milk works were saying, Hey, we'd like to fix this. Do you think you could help us with this? And we started doing that about oh, 12 years ago. So our community breastfeeding initiative has been going on for 12 years now. And so they kind of just, people find us and they say, do you think you could help help us fix this? When you say, well, let me, let's look at this. And if we got a little funding, sure, we'll try it out. And so that's kind of how we've launched a lot of our things. And so the most recent project is in infant mortality. What, what is, mm-hmm. what are you seeing? What are, what are you seeing as far as causes and conditions and what what are some things you're doing to try to turn mm-hmm. that around yeah. well one of my role models in life is a guy named hans rosling and uh, he was one of the early ted stars actually his his health statistics talk was one of the top 10 ted talks of all time for multiple years he was just had a really gift for explaining stuff to people and uh he's got a really good book called factfulness that you would probably like uh but in his book he says if you can only measure one thing about a community uh, you would measure infant mortality because if that's not good, all kinds of things are wrong in the healthcare system. Mm. And if you look at Nebraska, we're about meh for the rest of the country. We're not mm. as bad as Mississippi, but we're not as good as say Colorado or California or New Jersey. Uh, and if you compare us to the rest of the world, we're way worse actually. So if something's wrong there. Let's fix it. And so we just started going there and it turns out we, we know where some of our problems are actually. It's this delayed access. When a young woman in Nebraska gets pregnant and say she finds out she's pregnant at 10 or 12 weeks, but has no health insurance, how does she get on Medicaid and how does she find a clinic and how do we get these things started in a timely basis? And some of those times it takes two to three months for uh, delays in the application, not knowing where to go. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a kind of disorganized and it's 
There's just not anybody out there to help. Okay, here's the easy steps for you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so we're trying to put that together at a community level. Um, you know, one of the challenges, the good one thing I like about Lincoln being it's a refugee resettlement, which is you know, which is good. But the Sudanese women who come here, they don't have this kind of prenatal care where they're from, so they don't know anything about it. So can we find someone who can convey that to him, them? And so we actually have identified a person. She's one of our community breastfeeding educators. So she's she's working with that population because, you know, Bob Browner's not the right messenger for that. I'm an old white <laughs> guy. Um, but Kamisa, who's a you know Sudanese woman who they know and trust, she's the best messenger for them. And so we're look. So those are some examples of what we're doing. I can't. Uh, yeah, I I don't know anything about you know pregnancy or gestation, but I would imagine that a two or three month delay in actually getting on those programs, it's too late. I mean, if you have to mm -hmm. wait, you know, like if you find out at twelve weeks and you have to wait three months to start some of that stuff, you know, there's a lot of yeah, wow, that's really cool mm -hmm. work. So. And I feel really dumb for asking this, but are you running for re-election to the school board? Is that what's yes. happening? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I ran uh, in 2019, and uh, Lincoln has odd-year local elections, so it's 2023. So the uh, primary is April 4th, and the general is May 2nd, so it's rapid cycle, which is nice. Uh, running, campaigning for a year sucks. Yeah. <laughs> campaigning for two, two to three months is much, much less bad, but it's still a pain. Um, so, uh, yeah, was, so running for re-election. I just wanted to clarify because I was looking at your bio at the end of your video and like Lincoln Public Schools Board of Directors, District 6. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at your sign and the LVS Board of Directors. There you go. Okay. It's mm -hmm. all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> well, so one thing that's surprising, a lot of people like when I knocked out, don't, some don't realize we have a Board of Directors for Lincoln Public Schools. And then, and then some don't realize that that's an elected position. Some mm -hmm. people think it's an appointed position. It's not. You know, like during the Black Lives Matter protest, some people were coming to us angry and said, how come none of you are minorities up there? Well, because none of them run. I mean, it's not a point of position. You actually have to run and get elected. And are, so, you, are you running uncontested? No, I have an opponent, uh, all three of us. So it's in that. So this is the uh, on this year. It's the uh, the even districts, two, four and six that run two years from now. It'll be the odd districts, one, three, five and seven that will run. So every two years, you know, roughly half get traded out or reelected depending on, on the case may be. So, so Annie's running for your election, Annie Mumgard, and then uh, Connie Duncan decided not to run. So that's an open seat. So running. What are the boundaries of district six? Um, it's a little squiggly because it's based on the census tracts, which aren't a nice oh. straight line a lot of times. So it's sure. roughly about, Oh, kind of like the telegraph district around, you know, 20, 20th ish all the way out East to the, to the, to the uh, city limits, which is like, I don't know, 120, 100, whatever now north side kind of roughly vine and holdridge kind of waffles mm -hmm. back a little bit south side uh, in the east end it's van door but it kind of goes to south but it kind of goes up a little bit so it's irregular boundaries if you go to the, if you go to lps.org and look at the board there is a map to show where people's districts are okay um, i'm gonna yes. do that immediately this afternoon because i have no idea i'm <laughs> like i live over by southeast high school i have no idea i mean that's and that's the thing yeah. about i think the last few years has caused all of us to kind of be realize and we've said it here between steve and i mm -hmm. on the podcast that all politics are local politics and how important it is to be cognizant of who is going running for what and like you know i i've had more like focus on you know the fact that i can vote for judges and that those things don't just happen you know like that i didn't mm -hmm. know that and i and i think that that's kind of a uh silver lining to the darkness of the last few years of, of not only the 
you know, social justice upheaval and civil rights movement. But, uh, you know, COVID, too, it's like we, we do need to pay attention on the, the fact that who is who is doing what in our communities. And we have a say in that. But another common problem I run into is people not understanding who does what. So, like, sometimes they'll come yeah. and yell at us and say, how come you don't do this? Well, because it's a state law. We can't change that state mm-hmm. law. That's the legislature, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. And some things like that's no child left home. That's well, it's, that's actually not there anymore. But that was a federal law. So right. sometimes it's a localism. Sometimes it's state. Sometimes it's national. Like, you know, we always get the you should cut the administrative waves at LPS. OK, fine. That's nice. Uh, but there's a three page list of unfunded mandates that the state makes us do. And that all that's what the state good chunk of what the administration has to do we can't not do that the state says we have to do that so if you want us to not do that and cut that you need to go talk to your legislator not me and mm. so people don't realize who controls what or like property taxes people don't realize like the big issue now is like oh property values go up you guys are gonna get this big windfall you should give it back we'll have to tell them what that'd be nice i would give it back the problem is the state's going to take it back mm. because they're going to cut our state aid that much so state the state has cut our lps funding 32 million dollars in the last five years so every time our valuations go up, the state takes it. So they're yelling at us saying, no, I'd love to give it back to you. I'd love to lower the levy, which I would do, except the state's going to cut our funding that much. Yeah. So that's how, a state legislature problem. <laughs> how much, how big of a chunk is $32 million like out of? Uh, this budget year, I believe we're about 480. So I mean, so 10, not quite 10%. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not nothing. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. in 32 million, that's a lot of teachers like, okay, you, you want to reduce class size, pay teachers more fine. Where's the money going to come from? Right. It's right. got to come from the state. Cause then on top of that, the state actually caps our, our levy. So I can't raise the, this is I, a, I can't vote to do that. I have to actually put it to a vote of the community. We'd have to have to do a re- referendum to raise our, our levy. We can't go, we can't go any higher actually. Uh, so about a, about a decade ago, I went on a, a bike. It was a really neat thing put on by the city. It was a bike tour of, um, some construction projects that were happening we'll, we'll go out on bikes and we'll go take a close look at them and we were going uh underneath and i don't remember exactly who the leader was but he was a city official person and um in charge of maintenance and projects and that sort of thing and we were driving riding our bikes underneath the viaduct underneath like 27th and capitol parkway and there was some concrete that was in disrepair and one of the women on our ride was she was indignant at the state of repair of that underpass. And this guy, he was very cool. He just looked at her and smiled and said, well, that's the price of deferred maintenance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was kind of, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, that costs money to fix, which takes taxes. Yes. And all of well, a sudden she, she was very quiet for the rest of the ride. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there was a, well, in our candidate forum we had last weekend, one of the candidates said, his idea for saving money was, oh, we'll just, we'll cut maintenance by 10%. That's going to save money. That's going to save money in year one and two. But boy, talk to any facilities director about what happens when you don't maintain the roof and the water leaks. That yeah. doesn't save you any money. It gets real expensive and, real fast. And yeah. It, yeah. And it's like, it's not like the cost of materials is uh, decreasing mm-hmm. at all right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's, I, I'm an IT guy by trade and that's uh, for a hospital actually, but uh I mean, the technical debt is real and it gets real expensive real fast. Oh, it's yeah. much less expensive in the long run to keep the licenses current and keep the software current. And we don't mm. always like paying those bills, yeah. but it's much better than five years down the road having to pay a much larger bill. 
usually yeah. what, under adverse circumstances. Yeah. And what happens when you get hacked and the doctors and nurses can't get into the electronic medical record because you've got a ransomware? Bad. Oh, man, that is bad. It's <laughs> bad. Yeah, we're that's kind of my waking nightmare. <laughs> so I, I, I feel this question bubbling up within me, Bob. So I want to ask it. Uh, <laughs> just the this, this sort of thread of the philosophy, your, your undergraduate degree in philosophy. Why? Why are you running again? Why? I mean, you, mm. you can, you could probably, uh, you know, continue making the money that you make with the expertise that you have doing the work that you do. Why are you, at, why are you adding on the school board thing? Why are you sticking around? Wh- what is it? You know, I guess philosophically, mm-hmm. I want to ask the why, why are you doing this? A couple of things. One, it's in my personality type that I don't like to be a leader, but if, but I'm a reluctant leader. If nobody else is doing it, then I will step up. And I don't, if there was somebody else who I thought was good enough, I'd say, sure, go ahead and run in my place. Cause I've got other stuff to do. I just don't know who else would be right now. The second reason is there's things I wanted, I was running on in 2019 that I was going to start working on. And then the pandemic hit. So the th- other things I wanted to work on took a three year break. One thing like improving the health and fitness of kids, for example, and now it's some of the mental health. So that needs to get done. And that just so happens to be my background. I think I know a bit about that kind of stuff that the only, the only thing we could really save money is our healthcare costs, which is my other job. And when we actually are working on that, we have a couple of potential areas where I, I'm certain we could say we could cut our healthcare costs by five to 15%. And that's, you know, seven to $15 million range. So, um, so we, that, that's the only significant source of funding I can find. And, uh, and if somebody has a, another magic source, great. The budget's public. Go find it and share it with us. Why are you hiding it if you know some magic secret information mm. the rest of us haven't figured out yet? But the only way, the only place where you can make a signal is healthcare costs. And then the other thing that really bugs me is how we how we rate our schools in Nebraska is a waste of time and money and resources. It's a fancy, expensive way, time-consuming way to figure out where the rich and poor kids are, something we already know. Mm. We could do a much better evaluation. That's what I do in my other health side. That we have a better way of rating clinics where we correct for things like socioeconomics and risk and things like that. But our healthcare, our education system doesn't apply any of those statistical techniques to figure out who's really doing a good job and who's really not. And that really frustrates me, obviously. So, uh, so we have a, I've pretty concrete proposals on all three of those things. And so I even have YouTube videos on. I'm not going to send them to you. Um, so that, so it's sort of unfinished business is the other one. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm, like I said, I, I don't have to be the school board member. Somebody else wants to do it. That'd be great. Uh, come talk to me. Mm. All of us are always looking like Connie, when she decided not to run, she was trying to find someone to run in her place. She wants, she cares enough. She wants someone who she trusts and she, she did that. She looked to see if she could find somebody. I know she talked to quite a few people actually. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, no, uh, yeah. I, 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 the reluctant servant leader situation, I think is, is really comforting to hear that that still exists. So thanks for answering that question. Um, thank you again for doing this. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on. And I, I know that um, if I didn't, wouldn't, didn't want to expose my hat hair, I'd take my hat off to you. Uh, Cause we really I'll appreciate it. There you go. Um, <laughs> it's no product Sunday in my house. So, uh, but uh, uh, Joel, did you, uh, I feel like we're kind of bumping up against our hour here. Yeah. So uh, Bob, we've, We've heard a lot of, I mean, you know, your expertise and your training and your experience um, sort of flows out. We, we, I think that you've got my vote. I don't even know if you're, I'm in your district, but you know, you're not. <laughs> uh, but cool. I'll still, I'll campaign for you, whatever. Um, right. But uh, 
I always ask of our guests, like, what what do you like? What are you into? What brings you joy? What music are you listening to? Or what are some of your favorite bands or artists? Or maybe you could, I, I think I've, if I asked you what your favorite books are, it might be very clinical. So I'm going to ask, like, what your favorite novels are. You said you, as a kid, you, you know, collected Star Wars cards and comic books. Like, what are some of the things that make you you? Okay. I, yeah, I still love science fiction. Um if I had, if it was a beautiful day and I didn't have anything to do, I'd be on my bike uh, going for a bright ride down the Mopac or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and and I do have some open ear earbuds where I listen to music once I'm on the Mopac. I don't do it in town because it's dang, a little dangerous to not have hear well, but on the Mopac, I think it's fine. So I love to zone out to music or a good podcast while I'm riding down the path. Um, music, I, I, I've i got my Pandora. I love Pandora because I've got over the years between thumbs up, some thumb downs, I just have like a dozen channels and they play good stuff, but they all—they're always throwing in new stuff. And that's why mm-hmm. I like Pandora as opposed to something where you have more control. And so I've got like a couple—I've got like a, a Martin Sexton, a Big Head, Todd and the Monsters, Tom Petty, uh, actual Tigers. Those are some of my stations, and they'll throw in stuff you haven't heard before. Some things are like I—I I can't believe I didn't know about that. Like mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a band called Golden Smog. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-mm. It's basically sort of a—it's a side gig band for several other bands. When they were bored, they'd get together and they'd play. And it was uh, people from Soul Asylum and the Replacements and the Bodines. No oh, wow. and like I had never heard of them, and they just got thrown. Like, who is this? It sounds like this sounds just like the guy from Soul well, Asylum. This sounds there's like the fact of the podcast right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I love that. They just throws in stuff sometimes. It's like, huh? And then I, you know, I went to college. I went to college with a lot of folks in sort of the up in the north, Minnesota, Wisconsin. So that's where I got into Replacements and Soul Asylum and yeah. Your Daddy's, some of those bands. But there's also a lot of Colorado Husker Du. Did you get in? Did you do Husker Du? No, they're a little heavier than what I listened to. I was more alternative uh, yeah. acoustic t- sometimes. There you go. But like Big Head Todd and the Monsters from Colorado, they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, the, and then I always liked classic stuff like Tom Petty. And, yeah. But also was kind of into like, you know, Indigo Girls, Natalie Merchant, that kind of psych. So I don't know, I had kind of a wine. And I like, one other one I have the cult, you know, because it depends, depends on the mood you're in, you know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, you, that's now, I like, now I got to find the side project of Dave Perner and Soul Asylum and all that. What was the name of the Golden Go- Golden Smog? Golden Smog. I'm yeah, into it's it. Recent, like, who's this band? They sound so familiar, and they but they sound like a blend. Well, it's because they are a blend of those several bands, actually. And they would just great. get together and, and and never. I don't think they sold many of those albums, but actually, I like some of their songs. And I right on. Yeah, they recorded like 20 years ago. You know, nice. Nice. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for letting us into your musical tastes. And I, mm-hmm. and I, you know what? You do remind me. I need to not, not just jam my headphones in, into my ears when I'm riding around town. That is really super dangerous. Yeah, I don't do that. If I'm heading out east on the Mopac, I'll wear headphones, but not around town. <sighs> I, I Sometimes it's the my... only thing that motivates me to ride, though, is that I can listen to something. Oh, you ride for the joy of riding. Not always, Steve. <laughs> Not always. Hey, all right. That's another Sometimes discussion. I need to put on my metal music and just go as fast as I can. Yeah. Once you leave city limits. Okay. There you go. All right, Doc. On, I'll Joel. do it. Yeah. Oh, Joel, we love a... you. We, we want you to be healthy and, you know, alive. Uh, there's a book I have called Just Ride. I love it. It's the guy who wrote uh, it's from Rivendell, Bicycles. Yeah, oh, wow. I read it a while back. It's a cool book about just just ride. And he, just ride. He, he, he goes off on the weight weenies, the like, lightest carbon fiber or whatever it's like ah, i don't do that just find a comfortable bike and go out and ride it's all right you know? <laughs> the best bike it's is like, the one you have yeah yeah <laughs> awesome well, rob uh thank you so much for hopping on with us this morning mm-hmm. it's been a delight talking to you and we'll uh 
mm-hmm. you know, we're certainly stumping for you in the way that we can. Um, and uh, best of luck to you. And thank you for all of your good work. I, I, I personally appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always look forward to, you know, hearing from you. So, yeah. Thanks. Fun conversation. Re- yeah. We right. really appreciate your, your expertise and your willingness to put it out there and to share so kind of unapologetically and vulnerably and just sort of fact-based because like I said, I, I can recall a couple of times in the most panic stricken uncertain times of that early pandemic, uh, your videos were a beacon of truth and really calmed me down just to hear the facts. So thank you for that. And good luck in the race. I would vote for you if I could, but I'll tell others to vote for you. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Bob. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes it feel mellow. Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much. Vodka puts my mouth in gear. This little refrain should help me explain As a matter of fact, I like beer My wife often frowns when we're out on the town And I'm wearing a suit and a tie She's sipping vermouth and she thinks I'm uncouth When I yell as the waiter goes by I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes him feel mellow. Whiskey's too rough, champagne costs too much. Vodka puts my mouth in gear. While this little refrain should help me explain As a matter of fact, I like beer beer. Last night I dreamed that I passed from the scene And I went to a place so sublime All the water was clear and tasted like beer Then they turned it all into wine I like beer It makes me a jolly good fellow I like beer It helps me unwind And sometimes it makes me feel mellow Makes him feel mellow Whiskey's too rough Champagne costs too much Vodka puts my mouth in gear All this little refrain could help me explain as a matter of fact I love beer. Yes, he likes beer. Don't forget, toot your hooter.